So when my family members were urging her to go to the hospital, she would tell them, you don't understand, it's worse there. And that's because she knew what it was like at at the hospital because she worked there. She saw that they were overwhelmed. She saw that they didn't have enough PPE. She herself had to reuse PPE for two weeks. And she told me stories about how people would hide their PPE so that they could get more because they didn't want to reuse the surgical masks. It wasn't even the N95s. It was the basic surgical masks. That's Fiona Tulip, a grieving daughter who lost her mother to COVID-19. Isabel Papa Dimitru died at age 64 alone in a hospital bed on July 4th after having spent a week battling this horrible disease. Turning her grief into action, Fiona wants to make sure her mother, a Latina frontline worker from Texas, is more than just a number scrolling on the newsfeed. I want people to know that this crisis, the, the one where my family must stay apart to do our part, even when we most want to be together. It's more than just death rates and a death count. It's a human life. It's a person who has passions. It's a person who has children or, or grandchildren. And, and it's a person who didn't want to die this way. And it's a person who didn't want to die alone in a hospital. I want people to know that and, and to think about that. I'm Justin Beck, founder and CEO of Contact World and host of this podcast. And I'm here to shine a light of truth on our healthcare and public health systems. I want to take a moment to talk about Contact World and why we're here. I'd like to remind our listeners that I don't have a public health background. I founded Contact World, the company, because I was frustrated with the lack of technology available to our public health system, the disparities in our economic system, and the inadequacy of resources allocated to public health. Most people don't realize how we got here. Did you know that historic inequities in our healthcare system actually date back more than 150 years? Or that we spend more on healthcare in the US than any developing nation with among the lowest ratings of care? Did you realize our public health system receives two or 3% of the funding that providers do in our country? So it's no wonder we're in the place we're in today with a pandemic proving to be the great revealer of disparities in our healthcare system. Contact World is here to help change that by improving public health technologies. And this podcast is the voice of and for the people. We learn from experts tasked with fixing the pandemic and other disasters of humanity. And we hear from people harmed by a system that wasn't designed to support them in the first place. We're here to do our part to improve that and to inspire change. And we're really grateful to have you with us. I want to welcome all of you back. Happy New Year. It's great to put 2020 behind us. Catherine and Deepti, thanks for being with us again to tackle these important issues. Now, before we jump into the discussion, let's remember what Daniel Dawes said, our guest from episode two. I hope that this is not just a moment, right, that we're in today, but it's going to continue to manifest in a movement to elevate health equity in a manner that will positively impact all of our communities. So I think in order to do so, we really need to increase our engagement with communities and work in tandem with them so that we can affect the solutions that are necessary to move that needle. You know, I think about it this way, that the people who are closest to the pain or closest to the problems are the ones who should be leading the solutions So one of the things that I I don't think that we put enough emphasis on is the risk that 
healthcare workers take every day in their job. On one hand, you think of people being exposed to a virus, but on the other, a healthcare worker or the front lines actually expose themselves to this virus, often with inadequate protection, highlighting the inequities in our healthcare system every day. Healthcare safety, healthcare worker safety is actually patient safety, which means that if you're not taking care of your healthcare workers, you're also not taking care of yourself being a patient because if they are not protected, you are not protected. And there is need for capacity building, resident health systems, better training for healthcare workers, protection. I mean, all these are universal problems. And I think the best thing we're doing through this podcast is actually raising the voices that need to be heard so that people world over are acting or talking more about that access to health is a human right. One of the things that Fiana said that really touched me, she was like, you know what? My mom was not a number. She was a human being. She was a person. Yeah, we're somehow desensitized by this ticker on the screen that talks about the number of people that are dead. It's just unfathomable that this has wreaked such a havoc, especially on communities of color. We have to just do more to resource health agencies and we have to appreciate the work that these people are doing, not only the clinicians and the frontline workers, but we have, to, we have to be more respectful of the public health agencies and the valuable work that they're doing too. Right. And, and I think we're doing our part through this podcast to use that platform and really help and educate the listeners on those topics because conversations like that, they need to be had. They need to be conversations that we have at the dinner table. I hate to say normalize, but to some extent, it needs to become such common conversation that it's not something that's not being taken care of. Right. So Deepti, what did you learn from your conversation with Fiona Tulip? Yeah, Justin, I have to say, talking to Fiana was tough. Just to set the context, uh, Fiana Tulip is a daughter of a healthcare worker from Texas. Her mother, Isabel Papadimitru, lost her life to COVID-19, who was living and working in Texas at that point in time. And she felt that people, you know, they were not using appropriate protection, masks, or any of those things. And the impact that has had the most is on the marginalized populations, the Latina, the Black, as well as the healthcare workers who are there to protect us in these times. Hi, Fiana. Um, On a starting note, even before we dig deeper into our conversations, we want to say that you are a hero who has the courage to turn your grief into actions. And we know it's not easy talking about your story. So we really appreciate you being here and also for stepping up and talking about what really matters. So on that note, Fiana, would you like to talk a bit about your mom? your fondest memories of her? I'd love to. And and thank you so much for having me. And I haven't heard myself be described as a hero because I've been spending all this time describing my mom as a hero. So if I can be as any bit of a hero like she was, then, you know, I'm doing something right. So thank you. Just to talk about my mom, she was uh, so special. She was very loving. She gave to others. She was a compassionate, passionate person. She spent a lot of her life 
just being there for other people. And that translated into her career as a respiratory therapist. If there was a patient who didn't have family or friends, she made sure she was that family or friend and she sat by that patient and got to know them. Even some of her colleagues told me, you know, she was like a second mom to me. And and when I hear that, I always wonder how my mom found the time. She was so busy with her career, with her two dogs, with her only grandchild. She was everywhere at once. And it was a pretty amazing thing she was able to accomplish. And all the while she was working on the front line with her patients and she was showing up to work with a smile. So she was a hero for sure. I was reading a bit about her, uh, Isabel, your mom, and I remember reading that she was a bank teller and she studied again to become a respiratory therapist. And that was because she wanted to help people and communities, right? Would you like to talk a bit about that transition of hers? Yeah. Um, you know, growing up when I when I was little, I remember her being a bank teller and I remember driving by with my dad and seeing her work in the window at the bank. And then I remember she started going to school and I I would see her come home with all of these books and she was coloring in the anatomy and I, and I would watch her and I, and I would color it with her, you know, to learn about the heart and the lungs. And this was at a time when I was taking dance classes, I was in gymnastics and it was so hard for her to be going back to school to study something new while I was having my dance recitals and my piano recitals, but she was so passionate about helping others that she pushed through and she tried to to be everything at the same time. And she got her respiratory therapy degree and then she had to start working nights. That was the, the available shift for a newbie. And working nights and sleeping through the day while I'm going to elementary school and junior high, I can't imagine that was easy for her. But this was a passion that she had and she really wanted to help people. So yeah, her transition was pretty special. And and, and looking back, I, I can realize how hard it must have been for her. And I think to this day, I never realized how, I guess, important she was to her patients and to even the pandemic because she was always my mom. Right. I mean, you used exactly the right words that how important she was to the pandemic in general, as all the other health workers are, right, or the frontline workers are. And it is so unfortunate that she lost her life to COVID while serving the people. And it's absolutely heartbreaking. And we know it's tough. It's really, really tough to talk about loss of someone so close to you in your family, let alone talk about it in public. Tell me about the moment when you decided that you want to turn your mother's grief into action. It happened pretty quickly. I spent July 4th, the day that she died, crying and and feeling upset and confused. And I also tried to figure out, how do I get my mom back? She's not supposed to be gone. She's supposed to be here. What kind of vortex can I crawl through to just pull her back with us? Or, or how can I go visit her? And I know it doesn't make sense, but you know, when you lose someone that close, it's hard to understand. And when you lose someone to COVID, it's even harder. And my way of getting her back was to keep her spirit alive. 
And that involved talking about her constantly. And I turned to social media and I just started telling stories about my mom and talking about how special she was. And and then it turned into talking about face masks and how we needed to wear them to protect other healthcare workers. And the more I talked about that, the more I realized, oh my goodness, there is a huge challenge here that we have. People don't believe in the efficacy of face masks and they don't believe that COVID is real and it's coming from our leadership. And so I, at that point, I couldn't just sit back and cry over my mom. I needed to tell her story so that I could help other people not lose their mom like I did. I mean, you said it didn't make sense, but I think it definitely made sense for all the good reasons that you talked about right now. And indeed, many families have publicly expressed their grief in the last few months over the death of their loved ones due to COVID. And they are blasting elected officials for what they see as inactions leading to these deadly consequences. Do you think of all things ignored just by having a mask mandate in Texas? at least a month earlier, would have saved your mom's life? I do think that the mask mandate was loosely put into effect a day or two before my mom died. And that was before a big holiday, July 4th, which is a little too late. Here in New York, we had a mask mandate a few months before that. And in Texas... They had a governor who was downplaying the virus, who was opening up way too early and who wasn't mandating a mask. So he had a whole state who were trusting him and following him and also looking at the president who wasn't wearing a mask. So by the time he said, all right, it's time to mandate masks, I think he already had a bunch of people who just didn't believe in it anyway and probably didn't follow. So... I think my mom could have been in a better place had more Texans believed in mask wearing or agreed to mask wearing and had they had a governor who really took this virus seriously and communicated in a way that let people know this is no joke. Absolutely. I I mean, it's spot on what you're saying. Indeed, your story was also featured in Biden-Harris campaign, right? Where it mentioned that COVID-19 represents a an unthinkable level of tragedy. And almost by any metric, the U.S. has had one of the worst coronavirus responses of any advanced country that I know of in the world. So taking the conversation forward, you mentioned your mother had a challenge of being a Texan and in particular, a Latina. Mm-hmm. We know that Latinos account for 56% of all COVID deaths in Texas. And even though they are only 40% of the state's population, what would you say to this disproportionate impact of COVID on Latinos or other marginalized populations? It's so hard to watch. To me, it feels like, it feels like the leadership is letting my people die, you know, Hispanics, the Latinx community, people of color, it it feels like they're just throwing them to the wayside and saying, good luck. And it's speaking to deeper divisions that we have and to structural inequalities in this country. Unfortunately, you know, 
the Hispanic community, they they are on the front line. They they work in jobs that increase their risk of contracting the virus. They are the ones who are caring for their elderly and living with them. They're fulfilling online orders. They're working in the hospital. They live in institutions such as prisons and homeless shelters. And, and these are all places where it's easy to spread this virus. And there's no support. There's no support. If my mom didn't go to work, um, she wouldn't get paid for that day. So what message is that sending? If you're sick and, and you need to pay for you know the, your next meal or, or your rent or your mortgage, you have to go to work. And there's just no protection. So this is a huge threat. If we want to get real on the response, we need not only to reduce their risk, but to support them, ensure that they have paid time off and that they'll be able to stay home when they're sick or at least earn hazard pay. But no one's no one's talking about that. I mean, exactly what you're saying is basically that pandemic has brought out inequalities in the system, but they have been existing always. And we just don't need to cure this for right now, but for the longer future. It has brought out these issues in the open for people to act on. So let's see hope in that. I also remember one of your comments that the least you were hoping for during the elections is the hope for a moral victory. Now, we do see that change with the election of the new Biden administration in the U.S., but what would you say to the results in Texas where Republicans have gained majority again? I, I was heartbroken. I had high hopes. We had worked so hard and, and so many different campaigns and so many different organizations. And by saying we, I'm, I'm speaking about Mark by COVID and, and the B. Abbott team. We worked so hard to spread the message and to tell people that what we have going on right now is not okay. And to see that the state stayed red. It was heartbreaking because people are dying in droves. It is the most mishandled state in the country. And they still voted for Trump. And I just don't understand. And so my heart was broken because I really wanted for Texans to see the light. And I truly thought that they would with the way things are going right now. I don't, I don't know. We've got some work to do. And, and that's what the election told me and told many people. There's work to do. Our story's not over. Our fight isn't over. I do hope that with Biden being our, our new president in the next year, that they will start to see what could happen when we elect somebody who is competent and who crosses both lines and who addresses the socioeconomic and racial inequities that we have and who addresses the pandemic in a way that it should be addressed. Definitely. Let's hope for the best. So going back to your mom a bit, your family members and you really tried to get your mom to go to the hospital when she was sick, but she refused. Why? I wish I could say that I was part of that urging, but I didn't know how sick she was because she didn't tell me for five days after she 
started getting symptoms. And, and even when she got her positive test, she didn't tell me because she didn't want me to worry. And that just speaks to how strong she is. It speaks to how she's thinking about me before her, but it also tells me that she didn't think it was that serious. And in looking at texts and things that she wrote, she did think it was a mild case, but I think toward the end, she probably knew it wasn't. So when my family members were urging her to go to the hospital, she would tell them, you don't understand, it's worse there. And that's because she knew what it was like at, at the hospital because she worked there. She saw that they were overwhelmed. She saw that they didn't have enough PPE. She herself had to reuse PPE for two weeks and she couldn't even keep it with her. Her manager gave it to her at the start of her shift and took it from her at the end of the shift. And she told me stories about how people would hide their PPE so that they could get more because they didn't want to reuse the surgical masks. It wasn't even the N95s. It was the basic surgical mask that she had. And she knew, <laughs> she knew that her colleagues and her coworkers were struggling and she thought that she could take care of herself and treat herself at home. In fact, she wrote about how she would sleep differently. She slept on her stomach and she never sleeps on her stomach, but she would turn her body from side to side, front to back, so that she could empty her lungs and breathe better. And the interesting thing about that is that I wouldn't know what to do. I would feel sick and I would call the hospital because my lungs were completely full. But because she could make space in her lungs to breathe, I think that was a detriment because when she had to go to the hospital, it was far too late. But she tried to treat herself at home. And that was, I think that was why she died so quickly. Right. I mean, definitely being in the healthcare system herself and being on the front line herself, she understood the challenges healthcare workers are facing and during the pandemic and she didn't want to become a burden as well as she knew that that place was perhaps not safer exactly. more than her home, right? Mm, right. So the coronavirus pandemic is uh, transforming our political reality and our lives. And we need to reinforce the fact that people's lives matter. How would you relay this message to the world in the context of your own situation? Oh, there's so many messages I have. You know, when I really started out on this crusade, I guess you can call it, I started realizing that people would say, no, look at the death rate. It's not that bad. Or, but I need to see my family. It's more important that I see my family than stay home. Um, masks don't work. In fact, I can't breathe with the mask. And it was so frustrating to me because I, I just come back with, but I lost my mom, but, but I didn't have to lose my mom if we had just followed these simple public health measures. So I want people to know that this crisis, the, the one where my family must stay apart to do our part, even when we most want to be together, it's more than just death rates and a death count. It's a human life. It's a person who has passions. It's a person who has children or, or grandchildren. And, and it's a person who didn't want to die this way. And it's a person who didn't want to die alone in a hospital. I want people to know that and, and to think about that. I also want people to think about the healthcare workers. You know, we can say, I'll take the risk. I'll get on a plane and go see my family for Thanksgiving because that's important to me. I'll take the risk. If I get sick, it'll be fine. The problem with that is that you don't have a choice if you're going to get sick or not. And maybe you won't get sick, 
but you don't have a choice as to who you'll infect. And we don't have a choice if they'll die or they'll live. And we also don't have a choice whether they will go to the hospital or not. And so the end result is healthcare workers who are tired and they're scared and they're working on the person that we may have infected because we wanted to go home and see our family. I read about this healthcare worker, she's a respiratory therapist, and she said, I see these restaurants being full of people without masks. I see people at bars. I see people getting on flights. Why am I staying apart from my family? I've been apart from my family for eight months. Why am I doing that if no one cares? I haven't seen my daughter. I haven't seen my husband for eight months. And we're forgetting that. So there's so many things in that message, but I think the end result is we've got to think about the people who are working and and risking their lives to save our lives at the end of the day. And we have to remember that we don't have a choice into how this virus acts. We can't choose whether it infects us or infects someone else. And we can't choose if we stay alive or if we die. Absolutely. I mean, I believe it just boils on to one message that protect yourself and protect your family by not really going out and meeting a lot of people and really thinking about the healthcare workers who are working around the clock to make your life easy at this point in time. Fiana, you clearly understand that when faced with such unfortunate circumstances like yours, you have two choices, transform or collapse. And you have clearly taken the transform route. What would be your message to people who are grappling with the loss of hope in this current crisis? My message would be, and I know it's hard to say, but to stay strong. You know, everyone processes grief differently. What I want people to know who have lost hope is that it's okay how they're feeling right now. And it's okay to be angry and it's okay to cry, but to know there are so many people who are going through the same thing. More than 2 million families are suffering the loss of a loved one from COVID. So I want them to know that they're not alone and that we're all struggling together and to keep talking, to keep sharing and to keep expressing, you know, how you feel. I feel like that's important. And the way that I was able to do that is by speaking about my mom's story and trying to tell the world and and trying to get the world to know her. And so I I just encourage people to to find that community. It's so helpful to know that that you're not alone. Fiana, that's such a beautiful message. And you are absolutely inspiring and empowering a lot of people around the world. How about your own hopes and wishes for the future? What are your expectations from the new Biden administration in the U.S. in the context of the pandemic response? I think even though we have a Biden win, which is so great, even though we will have leadership in office who believes in science and who believes in in helping those who are suffering, I know that there's still a lot of work to be done. There are still a lot of people who are dying. There are still a lot of people who don't believe in the virus. And so my hope is to continue on this crusade and to continue trying to save, even if it's one more person, just continuing to share my story so that I can reach more people. And I also hope to, it's all new to me, advocacy, but I also hope to implement policy that protects the community. You know, we've got people who have recovered from COVID and who are going to be struggling 
likely for the rest of their lives. And what does that mean for their healthcare? What does that mean for their hospital bills? Are we thinking about that? And so I do want to think about how to support them you know, with this new administration and how to get policy written to protect all the families who have lost someone and to protect those who are still suffering from it and who will be for a long time. Fiana, your story is truly heartbreaking but inspiring at the same time. And we understand that losing someone to COVID, it's hard to relate to. More so because it is and it was preventable. But it's wonderful how you have regained balance and after such an unfortunate experience and you're turning grief into action. So thank you. Thank you for speaking to us. Oh, thank you so much for the kind words and for the support and encouragement. This is a very long and hard road, but it helps to know that you know, maybe some people think that it's a it's a positive thing and that it's doing good because it gives me that little boost of energy I need to to make it through to the next day. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. So far, we've heard from Peter Hotez, who reminded us to be cognizant of misinformation around vaccines and that we actually need to plan for the next pandemic, even while we manage this one. Daniel Dawes taught us that the Affordable Care Act reflects a quantum leap for equity in America, but that we're just scratching the surface and we can't lose our momentum. But reflecting on the story of Fiona Tulip reminds us that this great revealer, COVID-19, won't break us. Even in her darkest hour, Fiona uses the experience of losing her mother to help others. On that note, I wanna challenge you today. Rather than complain about lockdowns, politicians who aren't practicing what they preach, or the inconveniences or pain this virus has caused you, your family, or your business. Think about the people that are less fortunate than you are. While we're anxious to get vaccinated, don't forget there are people who may not see a vaccine for years, if ever, because of their circumstance. As hard as things have been, don't let this pandemic rob you of your humanity. I'm challenging you to do something for someone else today even if it's just offering a kind word to someone struggling or consider donating to your local food bank, animal shelter, or favorite cause. Now it's 2021. Just as 2020 was about despair and loss, 2021 is about hope and change. So make sure you join us for the next episode of Contact World. I'm Justin Beck, and I'll see you next time. Listen to Contact World, the podcast on the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. 